Navigating the Storm, Episode 4 Seeking Something More. I'm Anna Knight, a personal development coach and seasoned survivor of life storms. You can find me online at annanightcoach.com or over in my Facebook community, Port in the Storm. On this podcast, I speak to women and non-binary people about their real lives, their journeys to where they are now, and the big issues they want to see change in the world. My guests aren't necessarily famous, although if Janelle Monet wants to pop in for a chat, I'm available. They're people who've inspired me, excited me, and challenged me to think bigger and braver than I ever did before. Today, we're talking to Nicola Haler. Nicola is an interior designer with a difference. She's not here to talk to us about how botanic prints are in for 2020. We'll be talking about mental health, compassion, and finding faith in something bigger than ourselves on a personal level, rather than in a religious belief. Everyday life can get in the way of looking out for little bits of magic and miracles. But if we rely solely on hard work, grit, determination, life can feel like really hard work. And when times get hard, living without that faith in the universe can contribute to all those doom and gloom predictions that our inner voices like to tell us. It's so easy to get sucked into a spiral of, it's never going to get better. Unfortunately, there's no guaranteed method to finding that faith in the universe. So Nico and I will be helping you on that journey today, talking about what helped us, some of the challenges of having mental health conditions, and a new mantra for this year. Love your neighbour as they want to be. Hi Nicola, tell me a little bit about yourself. Hi Anna. So uh, essentially, I would call myself a holistic designer. Holistic to me means bringing lots of different parts into one. That's how I live my life. I, I draw inspiration from lots of different sources. I think in a nutshell, I'm a supporter, an observer, a spiritual seeker. I read people and I read the struggles that they're going through as well as you know the opportunities that they may have in front of them. So I'm really a well-being advocate and really passionate about mental health. Fab. On that topic of mental health, what would you like the world to know about mental health conditions? Well, for anyone who's struggling with anxiety, I want to say that you're not alone. Mm -hmm. Anyone who's struggling with depression, you're not alone. It's a difficult time when you're in that space and you almost can't see a way out. But for anyone who's questioning the purpose of it all, I really want them to know please don't give up. There is meaning behind it all. And I've seen that for myself over the years. And could you tell us a little bit more about your own experiences with anxiety? Yeah, so I think it goes back to when I was very little, actually. I went off to a brownie camp with lots of young children. We must have been in the range of five to seven at the time. And I remembered before we actually left having this extreme feeling of not wanting to go. But I I did the done thing. I sort of went along with it because all my friends were going. I didn't want to look silly for wanting to stay at home and being scared to go and and stay away. 
I remember the morning where mum and dad dropped me there and I think it was my first panic attack if I'm honest. I remember standing at the door watching them drive off and having this overwhelming feeling of needing to run after the car and stop them. So I think really that's where it kind of started for me. But over the years it's developed into agoraphobia, the feeling of not wanting to leave a safe zone. So really finding it hard to go long distances away from home, essentially. You know, I've had panic attacks of varying degrees, but I'm always trying to hide it from the world. It's something about being seen to be having these fearful moments. I just don't want the world to see that that's what I'm going through. So I will tense up and hide it. And I can definitely relate to that. I have anxiety myself. I remember having a moment the first time it was in a, a staff meeting at the school I used to work in and the head teacher was talking about anxiety and I actually, without engaging my brain, said something about my own anxiety and I remember having that heart-stopping moment of, oh God, everyone knows mm. now. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly it. And it's hard when you first start speaking out about these things as well. It's interesting how many people come out of the woodwork and start saying, actually, I've felt this as well. And it's quite humbling when you have so many people sharing an experience when previously they've hidden it from one another. Yeah, it's that beautiful moment of connection, right? Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned that incident in your childhood. Were there other incidents in your childhood that you think have affected your mental health? Yeah, so... When I was at high school, I remember it being particularly difficult to manage my mental health. That's when my anxiety really compounded. You know, it's tough when you're going through your GCSEs, you've got the pressures of study, but you know, you've got the the other side of things where you're managing friendships and you're getting to know each other, getting to know who you are. And there's a lot of pressure to be seen as the coolest person at school. Yeah. Friends are always competing to be the most popular and I guess if I'm honest, I always felt like a bit of an underdog. Mm -hmm. I was the one who went unnoticed and I tried and tried and tried to be seen by the people I wanted to appreciate me. It's really interesting that you say that. I was reading a statistic the other day that says like one out of every five children has those kind of issues. Mm. But for girls, that social exclusion is one of the most common ways that it shows up. And I think yeah. we do kind of go into this pattern where we try and unbecome who we are to mm -hmm. become more like what we think is acceptable. Yeah, I definitely became very impressionable by my other peers. You know, I I don't think I had a sense of my own identity. Mm. And I'd say it's it's only really now in my 30s that I'm getting a real good sense of who I actually am. Yeah. And can you tell me a little bit more about that like who are you? You know, I'm. you can't see looking ahead how the stepping stones are going to lead to you finding yourself. But looking back, I can definitely see that there's a pattern there, that each of the experiences I've had has led to me being who I am today. And that might sound a bit sort of corny, but honestly, it really feels like it's true to me. I would say I've always kind of been seeking something else. I've always been looking for that confirmation of what is life about and what's my place in that, what's my place in the world. I would say probably in my mid-twenties is when it all kind of started coming into place. Let's talk a little bit about that. You mentioned that seeking something more. When did that start? Gosh, I mean, probably 
when I was very little, actually. My auntie was a big figure in my life, and I really looked up to her. She had such a serene feeling about her. She felt like she was really connected to something else. And I think it was around about the time that she married her current husband, who is a vicar. She had this, what she calls a conversion into Christianity, and had this thing called faith. And that word faith has been so significant in my childhood. I looked at her and I just thought, that's it. That's what I want. That's what I'm looking for. It's that sense of connection to something that makes me have a purpose, that makes me feel safe. I totally resonate with that. I have an aunt on one side and an uncle on another side who are vicars. And my aunt in particular is my godmother. Seeing someone out there with that strong connection. We lived in the same town as her for a while. And actually going to her church, watching her preach was a a really impactful thing to see someone living that connection to what for her she calls God. It can be really moving as a kid. Yeah, yeah. It's I think because children are such feeling beings, I think it's it's a felt sense of it, isn't it? And it's interesting that my auntie is my godmother as well. So it's almost as if she was there to bring me to the knowledge that there was something bigger than us. Mm-hmm. When you look at it now, how do you represent that something bigger to yourself? Do you know what? It's all about that felt sense of there being something. I guess if we look back at where I started as a child, I'd already started sitting with it, I think, even though I didn't really know what it was about. I recall as a child sitting in my bedroom and designing, I guess, what I'd call an altar or um, a sort of shrine putting sort of pretty things on it, decorating it with pretty cloths and things like that, and sitting in front of it and pretending to actually worship. And I had no idea what that feeling of faith was really supposed to feel like, but I'd already started exploring it way back then. It wasn't really until 2015 that I had a really big awakening to the the feeling that the universe could bring to me. Mm, tell me a bit more about that big awakening. Yeah, so I had been to various networking meetings for my current interior design business and a lady had been signing me up to her email newsletter that would come out once a month. And on one of her newsletters, she talked about this group of women called One of Many. It was a group of empowering coaches, um, empowerment programs, And they did this thing called the One Woman Conference. And I read about this conference and I watched the videos and I thought, this is it. This is exactly what I'm looking for. I tried not to have too much expectation attached to it, though. And I just went along, not really sort of knowing what I might come out like at the end of it. There were all these promises about it being transformational. And I was a bit sceptical, but I thought, you know, just go try it. There's nothing to lose. So I went along and... They were offering a program to find out your unique talents. There was a competition involved around it where everybody puts their business card into a jar and the winner is pulled out um, on the Saturday. So I thought, what the heck? What have I got to lose? This This sounds like it would be perfect for me. So I entered the competition. I put my business card into the jar and I actually thought to myself, this is a really good opportunity to challenge the universe to show up and to ask it 
you know, if you are real, if this is actually a thing, prove it to me. If I win this talent profile, I will see that as a huge, huge sign that we can work together throughout life, that you are there to support me and I've got that connection with you. So essentially, that's what I did. I entered the competition, I left the conference and I went back the following day. I thought, oh, you know, I'm not going to win this thing. I didn't really expect much of it. It wasn't until I passed one of the ladies and they called over to me and said, Nicola, Nicola, have you read your emails this morning? I said, no, why? And they called out, because you've won the talent profile. Wow. And honestly, in that moment, it was like a kaboom through my whole body, like a lightning bolt of realisation that there is something there. That I just, I did not need to know anything else. That moment, that simple thing of willing that talent profile was enough for me to believe. And I have not ever gone back since then. It was absolutely the turning point. Oh, I love that way you you really set the universe such a clear thing of like, go on, then prove it. And the universe yeah. was like, well, I think I shall. Yeah. And in that moment is when I found what I've been looking for, faith. So how does that show up in your everyday life then? So it's it shows up in signs, you know. It, it's this constant realisation with little signs and synchronicities coming up in different areas when I need that extra little bit of a push. It speaks to me in so many different ways. I mean, I'm really into seeing numbers on things as well. So patterns in numbers that might pop up on the clock or there might have been a word that's been playing around in my head for a few days and I'll see that word absolutely everywhere. Mm -hmm. There's so many confirmations of what's in my head that I'm on the right path. And if I ask for it, generally it does answer. Mm, and that's brilliant. And does that give you more clarity in your decision making then? At the time when I'm going through difficult times with decision making, I find it hard to get to a, a settled place in my own head. So that's when I kind of pass it over to the universe. And it takes a few days for anything to materialise. But eventually there is some kind of message and it does direct me in the right sort of area. Fab. So it's almost like I'm getting the image of like a compass that you're yeah you're asking for a route and then the universe is kind of going, maybe over here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm just thinking back, I had a, a really kind of similar awakening around the same sort of time, I think mine was 2016, where I was struggling with uh, probably the biggest decision I've ever made of whether to stay in my marriage or to actually start again, mm -hmm. leave my husband, go out on the kind of the single life, approaching my 30th birthday. Yeah. And everywhere I looked, I was having signs that were saying, take the leap of faith just do it like everywhere I looked and I think my fear at the time kept me really small like I'm seeing all these signs but I need to just ignore them because yeah. like like who believes in those kind of woo-woo things that the universe yeah. is saying <laughs> and then when I actually eventually listened just the feeling of relief and mm. all those little synchronicities that you were talking about, they kept springing up. So I was looking for somewhere to live and a flat five doors away from my best friend oh, wow. was available. I needed to find some someone to help me. And the first person I asked was like, oh my God, yeah, and just came and helped. And wow. it is that moment, isn't it, where you mm. go, actually, if there is something bigger than me, 
I can pass off some of that faith into that knowing that as long as I'm receptive and listening I've got something to back me up on my decisions yeah yeah so a really big question for you now obviously 2020 there is an awful lot going on in the world have you been able to find any meaning behind what's going on globally at the moment I just feel it's so significant and it doesn't take away from the tragedy of what's happening to so many families losing loved ones and you know going through losing their own lives but I feel that the world needed it I feel that it had got so materialistic and consumed with money and power and war and fighting against each other conflict that I think it needed a big shake-up and I don't think it's over I think it's going to take a while but I've, I've read so many things out there that people have been putting on social media things like it's like the world is sending us to our rooms to think about what we've done that's <laughs> that just means so much to hear that yeah um, I love that yeah I feel like it's it's almost kind of rewound us back to a time where life was simpler. I mean, I'm not saying that's everybody's experience of it. There'll be people like the key workers who have had to fast forward and take on extra and take on new busyness, I guess. But for a lot of people, for me included, it's the stillness and taking that pause that I feel has kind of, it's made us look at how to feel centered in ourselves and what we really want in life rather than going after this endless busyness trap that I think we get stuck into. And what really struck me from what you were just saying is the thinking about what we really want from life. Mm. I think so often we don't consider that we get into the groove of our routine and it is those opportunities for reflection don't come around that often. Yeah. I read a really good poem, I've actually written it down to share with you, that said, what if 2020 is the year we've been waiting for? A year so uncomfortable, so painful, so scary, so raw that it finally forces us to grow. Mm. A year that screams so loud, finally awakening us from our ignorant slumber. Yeah. And that phrase of ignorant slumber, I was like, yeah. oh yeah, wow. Like <laughs> The word ignorant, that's that's weighted in so much emotion for me that that brings up a lot in my chest when you say it because mm. I think it's so easy for people to live a blinkered life and not look at the areas where they need to put their focus and there's so much wrong going on in the world and to turn a blind eye I find that really hard personally you know everything that's happening at the moment with the Black Lives Matter movement and it's just I think it's shining a light on the stuff that we need to sort out in the world and I've found that particularly for myself. I think I've done a lot of inner work trying to unlearn the the racist beliefs that the society mm. we live in put in us. Yeah. And But even then, when I've been going deeper into that in the past few weeks, there was so much I didn't know. Like, I uncovered this huge mass of stuff and was like, oh, oof, like, yeah. who knew that was in there? Yeah. I think particularly for me... It's been very easy for me as a British person to go, oh yeah, Black Lives Matters, American thing, really yeah. hugely traumatic. But over here in the UK, we've got the Discrimination Act. We're, we're sorted. We've got yeah. it. And actually listening to some of the voices of black men and women from the UK, it's really opened up this huge space yeah. inside me for going, wow, yeah. like the UK has got a way to go. 
Yeah, this is it. And I think, you know, when I when I look at some of the politicians at the moment, I feel like this stiff upper lip, ignore the problems that we're having, carry on regardless, strong, strong, strong. That for me is ignorance. That epitomises ignorance for me. I think it's easy, like you say, as, as a British person to feel some resistance to digging into this kind of stuff. And not going to lie, I felt it myself at times, so I'm not perfect. But I think it's time that we look beyond that. So if you could create a world that was how Nicola says the world should be, mm. what would that be like? For me, I think it's simplifying. Simplifying this intricate existence that we've all made for ourselves and actually finding time to connect to what's inside of us, whether you believe in a soul or not, connecting to a sense of ourselves, a sense of our own identity and our own purpose in the world, and being okay in our skin, actually getting to the core of what makes us tick and what we can do to help other people. Do you have a sense of what that means for you on a personal level? I'm really passionate about finding balance in life because I think this word busyness keeps coming up and a lot of my family members play to the traditional idea of what a week should be like. I find that there isn't this balance there. I find that there's a lot of emphasis on work, 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 earn money, get the good job have the gold watch, have the car, the nice house with the white picket fence, all of that kind of thing. But those, I feel, are just plasters over the fact that we're running away from connecting to our simplicity, to connecting to what's actually within. For me, I I want to help people to find that because I've had these feelings inside of me that I'm almost rebelling against the idea of having to be put in a box and trapped in that nine to five and you know, living a a life that's actually more biased towards work and money than it is on life and personal development. So for me, I can't see any other way than bringing those two things into balance. Yeah, and I think that's a phrase that gets thrown around so easily. Like, we all know we should have work-life balance, but how many of us actually do? Yeah, it's hard, I think, when, you know, so many jobs at the moment are grossly underpaid it's hard to have that balance because you have to put your all into work to earn enough to live. So I think there's a lot to look at in terms of that as well. And hopefully with living wages being introduced and things like that, there's progress to be made. But I think even on an individual level, just being able to feel balanced in ourselves, in our minds and our bodies is where we can begin that process. So do you have any advice for anyone who is just starting out that exploration into how balance might look for them? Yeah, so I think if you don't have that deep connection to what's within you right at this moment, you can develop it over time by looking at the spaces you occupy. So work with something that you can easily, that's easily within reach. Look at your home, look at the spaces that you should be feeling centred in. Is that helping to make you be the best person you can be? Is that making you feel that sense of balance in your mind? What's around you that could be contributing to this feeling of not being balanced? I was really struck as you were talking there about it not necessarily being a religious thing either. A lot of the ladies that I coach, when we introduce this idea, they they have that moment of going, oh, but I'm not religious, like I was brought up 
mm. Christian or I was brought up, we went to church at Christmas or seeing that connection to something bigger can so often feel like a, it has to be a religious thing. Yeah. Where actually for me, I found that connecting to, like you say, the space around you yeah. is a really great first step. I think we sometimes don't even think about it. We're sat on the sofa watching TV and our brains are anywhere else other than where we are right now. Yeah. So a lot of my ladies who are finding it more difficult to connect to that something bigger, that source. Yeah. I start with some mindfulness for them of just going like, actually feel your bum on the chair that you're Mm. in. Feel your feet on the floor. Is it cold or hot where you are? coming back to the rooms that we're in can be such a great starting place when we've spent so long tuning ourselves out of those spaces. I can totally relate to what you said about religion. As a child, you know, my family were all christened into Christianity, but I would say my immediate family weren't particularly religious. It was only my auntie, because she was married to the vicar, that she really had a strong sense of Christian faith. But it was almost the done thing to be christened and then confirmed later on. So when I was about, I must have been maybe about 11, I was confirmed into Christianity. And we had the the ceremony in the church and blessing, etc. And it was that moment that I actually thought, this is really bad for me to have been confirmed. And I actually don't have a faith. I actually don't know enough about this. And I don't believe fully. So I think from that, it led me onto the path of finding a broader sense of faith in terms of source in whatever way that came to me. I didn't find that the restriction really fitted with my open mindedness, that there is a lot to learn from all religions and a lot to learn from spirituality in general. When I think about the Christianity that was presented to me in my childhood, I experienced United Reform and Church of England Mm. and all these different flavours of it. And I took something different from each of them. But for me, there was never that moment of going like, this feels right and true for me Mm. and I guess I in a way I felt really envious of the people who who did have that experience who do feel that connection to a faith because it provides a framework but I guess I'm having a a really clear memory of me and my mum one of the the rituals we did around Christmas was that we went to midnight mass together Mm. and so I was going to that ceremony and I was newly out to my parents as bisexual it was about three weeks into it at the time and in part of the mass that the vicar led they prayed for gay people to come back to the word of god Mm. because they'd strayed from it and I had that moment of going like this has been my struggle with it all along that on one side they're they're preaching about love and treating your neighbor how you wish to be treated and that really is in line with my values but on the other hand there's this sense of acceptable versus Mm non-acceptable and as someone who fits into quite a lot of the non-acceptable boxes Mm -hmm. that that conflict for me I think has been bubbling under the surface for quite a while yeah yeah I can hear you there I think it's almost a bit restricting to live in that manner when you know you've got so many elements of your personality that make you who you are and if you're told you can't be that 
I personally don't see how that is going to be conducive to positive mental health. Yeah, I think it is love your neighbour however they want to be. I love that as a new mantra, like love your neighbour however they want to be. Yeah, yeah. As long as they're not doing terrible things and as long as they've got a good person in there somewhere and they're they're true to themselves and true to the needs of others, then why do you need to reject the parts of you that are seen as bad? Because I don't believe there are parts of us that are inherently bad. I think it's all a product of circumstance and upbringing and belief systems around you that maybe throw you off path. It's really interesting. As you were saying that, I had a question rise in me. Do we need to love the people who are doing bad things as well? Like what mm. what the world would be like if we brought that radical compassion and love to people doing morally questionable actions yeah. as well? Yeah. I mean, through my counselling studies that I've done recently, there's a lot in that about having to look beyond the things that people have done and bracket your judgments on that and look at the almost the wounded soul within because i i do feel that there's a reason why people do do these bad things um it doesn't make it okay to do that bad thing but deep down if you dig in there's something along the way that has triggered that in them so i'm really interested like you say if we offered up love to people who had done things that were wrong might there be a change Oh, it feels like there's something juicy in there mm-hmm. for us all to be applying at the moment. Yeah. So where are you going next? What are your next steps on this journey? So I guess I'm finally kind of feeling like I'm amalgamating all these different parts of me into something that can help people who are struggling with similar things to what I've been through. My background is in interior design and my creative self is is really something that I need to feel fulfilled as a person. I feel like the spaces we occupy, coming back to that idea of how we occupy space, that's kind of where my mindset is at the moment. And interior design has historically been all about flashy interiors. You've got the feature wallpaper, you've got everything matching, you've got the coffee table that you're frightened to put the cup down on because it might leave a ring. It's not conducive to relaxation, serenity, finding peace and stillness so really that's where my vision is at the moment it's bringing a sense of balance peace serenity and centeredness to the homes we occupy when you think about all the people who are living in flats at the moment and through lockdown they've probably felt quite trapped it's looking at how we can make that space and those boundaries help our mental health oh it sounds so needed Mm. If anyone who's listening to this is sat there going, yes, I need Nicola in my life, how Mm. can they get in contact with you? So I'm on various social media platforms, but if you want to have a call on the phone, that's probably the best way to connect. It doesn't have to be an overwhelming experience. It won't be that we plough in and we completely change your whole space. You have to get rid of loads of stuff. I'm very much a baby steps person and I go at the pace that the person needs me to. I want to work alongside people rather than kind of doing it for them. I want to work alongside and inspire them to make this change in their lives. Well, thank you very much for our conversation today, Nicola. It's been Thank you, Anna. Yeah, it's been lovely. Thank you. The poem I 
quoted with Nicola there was by Leslie Dwight, titled What If 2020 Isn't Cancelled? We're living through a complete roller coaster of a year, and it's easy to feel overwhelmed when challenges keep coming one after the other after the other. Even I found myself wishing for some more precedented times lately. But with faith and with support, I believe that we can grow through it even as we're going through it and build ourselves a new way to live. If that sounds amazing, but you don't have a clue where to start, then come join us in my Facebook community, Port in the Storm. It's full of incredible women and non-binary people who will help you through the challenging days with love and will cheer you on as you create new magic for yourself. Next time, we'll be talking to Heather Waring about her journey to having her son. Fertility issues affect about 15% of couples, but we don't know from the outside who is and who isn't facing a challenge in this area. Heather will be sharing her experiences with IVF and the emotional impact that this journey has had. I hope you can join us next week. Navigating the Storm is hosted by Anna Knight and produced by Anna Knight and Mel Robinson.